0: We're going to continue in worship by reading God's Word together, and we're going to read 2 Kings 22, verses 8 through 20. 2 Kings 22, verses 8 through 20, and the words are going to be up on the screen, so you can follow along with me there. It's a little bit long, but it's a story. We all like stories, Uh, so hopefully you can stay with us as we read through this. Once I read the passage, uh, we're just going to pray... Uh, especially that God would work as we uh, think and talk about his word together. And then after we're done praying, uh, you can have a seat um, before the message. Here we go. 2 Kings 22, 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and he reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom the son of Tikvah, son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. Oh, there. Okay, right. (laughs) And they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you, shall you say to him, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and you have wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord, Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. We're going to be in 2 Kings this morning. We're going to be talking about King Josiah. Just to let you know, if you're looking forward to getting back into the book of Exodus, we will begin our study in Exodus again next Sunday. This week, though, we will be in 2 Kings. So I need to explain a couple of things to you, because we're going to be in the Old Testament almost the entire time this morning. Maybe just one little jump over to the New Testament in a little bit. There is no shame in looking at the table of contents. Some of the books we're going to be in this morning, 2 Kings. Where's 2 Kings? Right after 1 Kings. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles, not of Narnia. It's its own book. We're going to be in Jeremiah. We're going to be in Joel, be in Matthew for a little bit. So you can flip over to your table of contents. You'll notice all of the books of the Bible are listed there in the page numbers for your particular Bible. If you're wondering, maybe you're not familiar with how the Bible is put together. There are lots of books in the Bible, but you're thinking books like books. It just means different sections are written by different people generally. But they may not be as long as a novel you are reading. Some of them are very short. Uh, But the books are separated by name. So we're going to be in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Joel, a little bit of Matthew. What else should we say? 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles are similar in this. They're both written about the same time period. So you have 2 Kings that were writing about the history of the kings of Israel, and you have 2 Chronicles that was writing about the kings of Israel, but they have different agendas, and so they tend to be a little bit different, but they're covering the same period of history. So we're going to look at both. What's great is we can look at the life of King Josiah about what the author of 2 Kings wrote about it and what the author of Chronicles wrote about it and see different perspectives about the same event. Uh, so maybe you're curious about that. Another thing about history. This will put you to sleep if I haven't already. King Josiah is the king of Judah. By this time in the history of Israel, there are two kingdoms. kingdom of Israel, which is ten tribes to the north, and the kingdom of Judah, which is one tribe and a bit. Judah and a bit of Benjamin. To the south, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. After Solomon, there was a civil war, and the kingdom of Israel was one kingdom, the kingdom of Judah was another. King Josiah is king of Judah, the southern kingdom of the people of God, and some several hundred years after Solomon. That's where we are. So we're going to be looking at the life of King Josiah as we think about change. First of the year, some of us are going to make New Year's resolutions. Some of us think that maybe December is the greatest month of charity in the year. I don't know if you've noticed during the month of December, you're going to get a lot of requests from various nonprofits for you to donate to them. Anybody else get these? Emails, phone calls it's on the radio? And you might think that December then must be the greatest month of charity in the year. It's not, it's January because we go and we take our money and we donate it to fitness centers. What we do is we go down there and we pay a registration fee and we agree to pay them a monthly fee that will also have a cancellation fee and then we never go there again. And we send them our money assuming that by paying them we will be in good shape. Resolutions. This brings up the question that I want us to think about as we look at King Josiah. What brings lasting change? If we can't even keep a New Year's resolution what really brings lasting change in our life for the Lord? Some of us are looking back on this year and there are things in our life that we wish were different. And we may even be thinking, I, I would like my life to line up more clearly with God's purposes and plan this year. And so you might be asking the question, even as, even as it relates maybe to New Year's, how can lasting change for the Lord occur to me? How does lasting change for God occur? Happen, And we're going to look at King Josiah and try to answer that question. So, let's begin in 2 Kings chapter 22, and uh, I'm looking at the first seven verses of 2 Kings. Change. This is the title of the message today. It's Change of Heart, and the first idea here we want to reflect on is this. What we do matters. What brings lasting change? It is change of heart, and what we do matters. Look at King Josiah. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. How old was he? 8. 8 years old when he became king. He was king in Judah for 31 years. Verse 2 of 2 Kings 22, it says this, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of David, his father. David wasn't his dad. It says King David, the first king of Israel hundreds of years earlier. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, his father. He did not turn aside from the right or to the left. What we do matters. Think about it this way. Maybe you have a friend who is a vegetarian. And so you decide you and your friend are going to go out to lunch. So you're trying to decide on a restaurant, and you have to look for a restaurant that has options both that you enjoy as well as your friend enjoys who is a vegetarian. So he suggests one place. They say, oh, that's okay, but they don't have any really good vegetarian options, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, you decide on a place that has good vegetarian options and options that maybe you might enjoy. So you get to the restaurant, and they come to you, and they say, what would you like to order? You say, well, I would like the bacon double cheeseburger with an egg on top and then cover that with gravy. <laughs> what would you like for the side french fries? No, no, side salad dressing on the side. I don't really want to watch what I'm eating. <laughs> I turn to your friend, and they say your friend, what would you like? Say, I'd like a tri-tip steak. What? So they go, they scurry up. What do you mean you want to try to? I thought you were a vegetarian. He said, "You know, I'm more of a vegetarian of heart. <laughs> I like to think like a vegetarian. I like to manner. Just it's really for me. It's a it's a it's a thing of my heart. But I but what I do is different. What do you say to that person? You're not a vegetarian. You're not even a good one. You're, you're because what you're defined by what you're doing." said, you may think you're a vegetarian, but if you eat meat, therefore you're not. What you do matters. And here is this king, this young king, and he comes in as an eight-year-old, and as he gets older, he begins to walk in the footsteps of King David. This means he lives a life in obedience to what he knows of God. As he grows older and older, he learns more and more, and he begins to live in his life a way that is consistent with what he knows God would have him to do and what God would have him not do. In fact, we discover this over in 2 Chronicles 34 where we get in more detail. He became king at age 8 and then at age 16, it says, that's when he really decided, I'm going to live my life for the Lord. So at the age of 16, for whatever reason, he discovered he wanted to live for the Lord the way King David had. And then it wasn't until he was 20 years old, from the age 16 to the age 20, he's learning about the Lord. At age 20, he says, wait a minute. The people of my kingdom, and my kingdom doesn't look at all like a kingdom of God. And at age 20, he sets to reform the kingdom of Judah. And all over the kingdom of Judah, there was all kinds of false worship areas. They would set up these temples in these high places, and they would set up worship shrines for false gods. And the way in which they worshipped these gods were horrendous. There were sacrifices and there was unseemly acts. In fact, they even would sacrifice people. That's how bad these worship areas were. And Josiah set out at the age of 20 to rid the land of Judah of all of these false worship sites. He tore down all the false altars. He tore down all of the the shrines that were dedicated to them. He even took some of the false priests and killed them because the law of God said you kill a a false priest. And he burned them on their own altars as a way of desecrating these altars. And he went through and took out all of the false worship shrines. Now, you would expect the people maybe to resist this 20-year-old. Some of these people had been worshiping in this way their entire lives and he didn't care. He went and, and tore out all of these things. He did what was right. He believed what God said was true, and it resulted in him willing to take actions as king to live in obedience. We can think about it this way in the course of Josiah's life. At 16 years old, he gets a notion he ought to live for God. At 20 years old, he's grown up enough in the Lord to say, wait a minute, My life and my kingdom aren't consistent with what I know of God. I've got to take some action here. I can no longer just have my faith be a matter of what's going on in my heart. He came to a place in his life at 20 years old, but what I believe has to have an impact on how I am living as king. I can't just be a personal thing in my heart any longer. What we do matters if we believe what is going on in the life of King Josiah. He walked like David, it says in Second um, Kings 22. He walked in the way of David his father. What does it mean to walk? Well, that's not a complicated concept, is it? It means you go somewhere, you walk. You're ambulatory. Well, the, that word is also used in Romans. It says walk by the Spirit. It's also used in the Ephesians. Walk in the light, not in the dark. What does walk mean? Walk means you do something. You're moving, you're going somewhere. God has made himself known to us by his word, and as a result of knowing what God has uh, uh, done for us, we say, I've got to do this, or I've got to stop doing this. And that's what happened to King Josiah somewhere between the age of 16 and age 20. At age 16, he says, I've got to know the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. And at age 20, he said, this can no longer be an issue of just what's going on inside me. This needs to change how I interact with the world around me. And for him as king, it meant getting rid of all the false worship in the land of Judah. Do you think he got any resistance to that? Maybe just a bit. And we're going to look at that in more depth in just a moment. Change of heart. First thing we have to understand in looking at King Josiah here is this. What we do matters, especially when it comes from our heart. What we do matters Matters If we have faith in Christ to forgive us from our sin because he died on the cross at some point, maybe not immediately, but at some point in our life, that's going to show up in what we do. That's going to show up in what we no longer do. What we do matters, especially when it comes from the heart. To have a change of heart, we have to understand what we need to look at. We need to look at what's going on in our walk the manner of our walk are we walking according to our own desires according to our own priorities or are we walking according to what god would have us do a change of heart changes what we do we think it's ridiculous when our vegetarian friend says oh i'm a vegetarian but i eat meat josiah got to a point in his life with the lord he said it's ridiculous i say i follow the lord but it's not showing up in how i live All of a sudden, we discover a life with God is not signing a statement of faith. you know what a statement of faith is? Most churches have them. Ours has one. And it's a list of things. Here's what we believe. you sign that, maybe you sign that statement of faith and say, hey, that's what I believe. Josiah got to the point in his life where he realized, my life is not about affirming what I do or don't believe, although that's important. It's about discovering if what I believe is true, how does that show up in my life? We could ask a couple of questions about this in regard to our own lives, couldn't we? Do we believe it's important for somebody as a Christian to know and be familiar with the Word of God? Would would we say we believe that is true? Now you're hesitant. I can tell. Okay, so if that's true, if I believe I ought to, as a Christian, be familiar and know the Word of God, what do I do with that? Well, you probably have six of them. You might want to read it. See, that's what we're talking about. We say, if I believe the word of God is important, if I believe God calls me to know him through his word, then that means what I'm going to do, what I do matters. I can't just believe the word of God ought to be known and then trust somebody else knows it. That's what we pay that pastor guy to do. So if I have a question, I can call him up. That's fine, I don't mind that at all. But if I believe the word of God is God made known, then what I do is I say, I'm going to read the thing. Now all kinds of obstacles come up. What's some of the troubles with reading the Bible? It's not a video. I tried to hit play on it. There's parts of it that are hard to understand. Like the passage I read today. The author of Second Kings thought it would be funny for English readers of the Bible to put a whole bunch of names that nobody can pronounce all in one paragraph. He said, well, someday some guy's going to have to read this in front of a few hundred people and this will be funny. Sometimes it's hard to read. You'll be reading along, it's great, and all of a sudden you come to six chapters of genealogies. You Really, Lord? I was just getting into a rhythm. All these things come up. But if we believe we ought to know the Word of God, if we believe God is known in His Word, what will we do? Because what we do matters. We ought to read it. Well, let's ask another one. Do we believe we ought to pray, ask God for His help? praise Him for the things He has done, thank Him for the ways He has provided? Do we think we ought to pray? Do we believe that? Do we believe someone who is in Christ by faith alone ought to pray to the Lord as a manner of worship and seeking His help? But what we do matters. It's one thing to say, I believe we ought to pray. It's a whole other thing to what? To pray. And that's what King Josiah, somewhere between the age of 16 and 20, he said, you know what, I believe all the right things it's now time for that belief to show up in my walk. It's time to put on the big boy pants and do. What we do matters when it comes from the heart. All right, next thing. This, of course, makes sense, but here's the next thing that is a little bit counterintuitive. If change of heart means that what we do matters, what it also means is that our heart matters more ...than what we do. So let's take a look at this. Our heart matters more than what we do. Again, we're still in 2 Kings chapter 22. Look with me down at verse 8. This is the part that we read earlier. So King Josiah is doing great. At age 16, he somehow has a crisis of faith of some kind... ...and he decides to follow the Lord. At age 20, he puts his, his faith to work... ...by cleansing the land of all of the evil things. And then in the 18th year of his reign... He determines to renovate the temple of the Lord that, jo- that Solomon had built. Look at the time frame. 16 years, old, 16 years old, he decides to follow the Lord. 20 years old, he t- decides to put it into practice. And then at 26, he finally gets around to renovating the temple. So he says, Give the money to the workers. The workers go in and renovate the thing. What do they find while they're renovating the temple of God? They find the Bible. The Bible, as they had it at that point, the book of the law. What did we discover? This, Josiah's entire journey of faith up to this point had been without a Bible. It had only been based on a teaching maybe he would receive from the priests and the Levitical leaders. And now they discover in the temple the book of the law, and they take it to Josiah, and they read it to Josiah. He had never read the thing. They read it to him, and what is his response? Verse 11 of 2 Kings 22. The king tore his clothes. Now, this was a a sign of the time you would rip your clothes if you were in deep mourning. If you discovered a family member had died, you would rip your clothes, and that would be a sign to everybody around you you were in the depths of sadness and mourning. So he reads the law and he rips his clothes. Why does he do this? And the reason is this. He looks at the history of the people of Judah and he looks at what the law says God is going to do and he discovers they are under judgment. The law has very clear things that God promises to do if they disobeyed him. He did the math. If we disobey him, God will do this. That means what? God's getting ready to do this. And it's not pretty. See, Josiah's parents... Weren't great people. His father wasn't king very long. His grandfather was a guy named Manasseh. Oh jeez. Here's what the Bible says about Manasseh back in 2 Kings twenty-one. Manasseh was so bad he made bad look good. Well, it doesn't say that. It does. Well, this is how it says it. Manasseh was so bad. I think we're. How bad was Manasseh? Okay, Manasseh was so bad. The Bible says. He was worse than the Canaanites that were in the land before Israel got there. And the Canaanites were bad. How bad were the Canaanites? God said, go in and invade them. Their sin is full. And Manasseh said, oh, really? Watch this. You think that's a lot of sin? I'm varsity sinner. And Manasseh went all in. Worse. Upon worse. And this was Josiah's lineage. Child sacrifice, all kinds of unseemly worship acts that we can't describe here because, well, frankly, because Kid Zone is in here today. Josiah, though, so he looks at the history and he says, I know what's going to happen. We've disobeyed God, so therefore God is going to bring judgment, so therefore I am in mourning. I didn't know this was happening, but now that I know what's happening, this is terrible. And he sends all the people, his advisors, to go inquire of the prophet, a lady named Huldah. And she says, oh, no, you're right, Josiah. You read it right. Tragedy is coming. And it won't be stopped. There's no stopping this train. But, Josiah, because you were repentant, because you were willing to tear your clothes and be broken of heart over the sin of your people, it will come after your death. You will live a life of peace. His heart mattered more even than what he was doing. God looked at Josiah's heart and said, I see here something going on here that's different, and it's even more important than what he is doing. In fact, what he was doing was just simply coming out of what had happened in his heart. So Josiah, hearing this, he decides to put together even more reforms. He is totally cleaned out and continues to uh, restore the temple. He tears out all of the uh, evil worship areas, and then he puts into place the Passover uh, once again. And he determines to celebrate the Passover. It hadn't been celebrated for hundreds of years maybe because they had so walked away uh, from God. So this is what we read. Look down with me. With your eyes to 2 Kings 23, beginning in verse 3. The king stood by the pillar. So in front of the temple, there was two pillars. They had a name. Each one had a name. One was named Boaz. I can't remember the name of the other one. And the king stood by one of the pillars, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies, and his statutes with all of his what? Heart. What we do matters. What matters more? What's going on in our heart and our soul? To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all of the people joined in the covenant. Now, where does this come from? You don't have to turn there, but this is from Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is what was written in the book of the law, and this is probably why Josiah had this ceremony. He says this, "Uh, when you get into your land and you decide to appoint a king over you, that's fine. Set a king over you. This is Deuteronomy 17, verse 15. It needs to be somebody from among you, not a foreigner. He ought not to get a lot of horses. He ought not to get a lot of wives. and He ought not to get a lot of gold and silver, Solomon. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. He can't go to Kinko's, or does that exist? FedEx office, whatever. He's got to sit down with the copy of the king before, get blank piece of paper out, and handwrite for himself the entire book of the law. And that'll be his copy. Not only that, it shall be with him, and he shall read in it. All the days of his life, so he will learn to fear the Lord, his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes, and by doing him, his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So what Josiah has done at the temple is he's put his hand on the pillar, saying, "I stand before God, and I submit myself to the truth of His word, the law." And he is participating with God in his covenant. And what the Bible tells us over in 2 Kings is the people participated in that covenant with him. Let's, for the first time, turn over to 2 Chronicles 34. Did you find it in advance? 2 Chronicles 34. It records the same event. This is 34, verse 31, with a little bit of a different take on it. Now, the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord. To walk after the Lord, keep his commands, keep his statutes, with all his heart, with all of his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Verse 32. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Do you notice the subtle difference? In Second Kings, it says the people participated with him. What does it say in in Chronicles 32? He made all the people participate in it. What we do matters. What matters more? Our heart. It's a preview of things to come. Can you be made to worship God in your heart? No, you can't. The king can't stand before us and make us followers of God. And we're going to see how this works out in a minute. But this is a covenant issue that starts in the heart of Josiah. He says, I believe God has made promises. I believe God is true to his promises. I believe him in my heart, and I love God in my heart. I will obey God, of course, but I will only do so because I love God. Those two have to go together. True obedience can never occur absent the love of, a love for God, and a love for God can never occur absent obedience. Okay, first trip over to the New Testament, Matthew 13. You're like, all right, I know where Matthew is. Matthew is so close to the Old Testament, it's touching. Okay, Matthew 13, chapter 13 is what I said. Verse 3, this is a parable that Jesus said. We love parables, so I'm going to read it. We'll conclude this uh, heart matter with this uh, parable and then move to the final point. Jesus said this parable: A farmer went out to sow his seed. And if you're not sure how they did this, the farmers of those days they wouldn't necessarily plant the seed and push it into the ground, but they'd have a sack full of seed and they would broadcast it with their hand like this. Okay, so and they call that sowing, not needle and thread, sowing, cast, broadcasting seed. So as he sowed, broadcasting his seed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced some uh, grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, uh, even some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, thankfully, for this particular parable, Jesus explains it a few verses later in verse 18. Let's read his explanation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what's the word of the kingdom? Let me boil it down real simple. Word of the kingdom. You have rebelled against God. You don't live your life the way God wants you to live. And if you disagree with me, ask the person who came to church with you especially if they're your spouse. They say, no, yeah, that's you. Because we have rebelled against God, our relationship with Him is ruined. When you have no relationship with God, you are consigned to death because God is the source of life. But good news, Jesus decided to come and die for us, and if we trust Him, all of our rebellion is washed away. Good news, we are no longer dead. We are alive in Christ by trusting in Him, and because He rose from the dead, we look forward to eternal life with Him forever. Word of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to save sinners. And we're all sinners. Just some people are willing to admit it and others aren't. So the good news is, the word of the kingdom is, hope has come through Christ himself. And this is how that word is received, that seed. Uh, Some don't understand it, and the evil one, Satan, comes and takes away from, from them even what they had. They don't understand the word of the kingdom. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm not as bad as Hitler. You might want to change that. Um, if you're just deciding you're okay because you're not as bad as Hitler, there's a few degrees worse before there. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Maybe start there. And then you get to know your neighbor, you realize, oh, wow, I'm a lot worse than him. I always love that. Whenever we decide we're, we're okay and we're going to get to heaven, we start with, well, I'm not a murderer. Well, I, I didn't realize the standard was that low, but okay. I'm glad you're not a murderer. Let me just put I'm also glad you're not as bad as Hitler. But in order to receive the kingdom, word of the kingdom, we have to admit something that's very hard for us to admit. Our sin is bad enough to keep us away from God. Some of us can't receive that, the evil one takes it away. Verse twenty as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and receives it with joy. God saves sinners. Yet he has no root, and he endures for a little while, but as soon as things get hard, he says, Oh, never mind. I thought when you became a Christian, all your problems went away. Now that I see becoming a Christian makes your problems worse, no thank you. That's the seed that falls among the rocky soil. Verse 22, As for that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and it proves unfruitful oh i love jesus i love money more well jesus is great i love Jesus. listen trust me i love the guy it's awesome just let's be honest let's just be frank sorry frank jesus doesn't pay the bills okay every now and then you got to get something done and jesus is great for the sunday school crowd make you feel good when things are down but to get things done you need dollar bills yo And, you, but we, and we try to say, well, I don't think like that. But we do, don't we? Isn't that kind of default? Okay, I love you. He's great. But you know, when the bill comes, I can't write, Jesus, take the wheel. Is that a song? Okay. God is my co-pilot. What, I don't know what you might write on there. See, they actually want a check that goes to a bank, and the bank can't just be full of the spirit. And that's exactly what this is talking about. The deceitfulness of riches chokes out of all of these soils. For those of us who call the United States our home, this is the most difficult. Verse 23, as for the soil that was sown, uh, the seed on good soil, he is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit, King Josiah. He's been living his life from the age of 16. And now, coming up on age 26, I think. And now he finally gets a Bible and he reads it and he doesn't succumb to the temptation we would have had. He said, you know what? I am pretty good. Listen, God, this is all fine and good. I've been killing it for you for the last eight years. He doesn't do that. What does he do? Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I am from a people of unclean lips. That's Isaiah. Because the work of God had prepared his heart, and it was good soil. He could receive the word of the Lord in humility because God had prepared the soil of his heart. He didn't just tear his clothes. His heart was torn. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend or tear your hearts, not your garments. He's saying, let the word of God do a work not just merely in obedience, but have your heart broken to realize I have been a rebel against God and his purposes. Return to the Lord your God. He is graceful. Well, he's graceful, but he's more specifically gracious and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast steadfast love. So a heart that is prepared hears the word of the Lord. It says, I'm not like that. My heart is torn asunder. God have mercy on me. Hebrews 4.12, a verse we're very familiar with. You don't have to turn there. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is Josiah. What we do matters. What is going on in our heart matters more. And King Josiah's heart was prepared for the word of the Lord. And when he heard the word of the Lord, he repented and said, God have mercy on my soul. And God heard and responded. Josiah understood the goal was knowing God, not merely being right. The goal is to know the Lord himself, not merely be on the right side of things. The goal is to know God is good, not merely to be good. What we do matters, but our heart matters more. Three final thoughts. There's kind of three ways to approach life good bad and really bad what's the good to do right from a right heart to do what is right because you love the Lord to do what is right because you think God is pretty awesome maybe I'll do things his way to the degree you can I mean keep in mind Josiah was had kind of a slow start didn't he I mean how long was it till he decided to do something with his Christian life it was years so we got to keep that in mind He grew in the Lord, and at a certain point, he said, you know what? i got to put this into action. So we hear and we understand the Lord prepares the soil of our heart. We hear the good news that Jesus has saved a sinner like us, and we say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, okay, I'd love to. So the good news is because of the work of God, he can change our hearts when we're willing to admit our hearts don't pursue him. We can do right because our heart is in the right place. Okay, what's bad? Is that we don't do right because our heart isn't right. That can be bad. We can say, "What? I don't like God. I think he's kind of an ogre. He's kind of mean. I've asked him for some really important things, and he said no. I'm being serious. Some of us asked for some really important things, some significant things in our life, and he flat out said no. And it's frustrating. If that doesn't frustrate you, I don't know what it, but he is God, so he gets to decide. And we say, you know, I don't like the guy. So I really don't care what he says. I'll do whatever I want. So that's bad news. Good. Do right because our heart is right before the Lord. Bad way to approach this. Don't do right because our heart isn't right. What's the worst way to approach it? Because you think, well, that's the worst way, isn't it? That's not the worst way. got good bad and really bad here's the really bad is to do right even though your heart's all wrong that's worse i want you to keep these three categories in mind before we get to the last point here good way do right because my heart is right because god has humbled me and i want to serve him because he's awesome bad news maybe i don't think god is awesome i'm gonna do whatever i want plenty of people doing that in fact i would say most Worst way to do things is to say, I'm doing right. I really don't care what God thinks. I'm just a pretty good guy. What we do matters. Our heart matters more. So last point, what we do doesn't matter. Wait, is that the opposite of the first point? It is. Stay with me. What we do matters when it comes from the right heart. The heart matters more. And finally, what we do doesn't matter if our heart isn't in it if God's heart hasn't changed. our heart. Think, Think of it this way. Have you heard of what a mercenary is? A mercenary is someone who is hired by a country to fight for them in a war. So somebody shows up and says, we have a war going on and we're short on soldiers. We're going to pay you money to go and kill our enemies. And the mercenary says, I'm in. I like money. In fact, the Geneva Convention has an exclusion. If you're captured as a POW, as a member of a military of an opposing army, there are certain things, certain rights you're supposed to be afforded, not saying these things are followed, but supposed to. Mercenaries, you don't get those rights. If you're a mercenary, they don't have to afford you any rights of an enemy combatant. Mercenaries are hired to fight in a conflict, even though they have no political or personal interest in the conflict. And this is what we discover becomes the definition of the life of many people in the Lord. I'm not fighting for the Lord, but I am willing to do what he wants if he'll pay me enough. I'm willing to get into the fight if there's enough to benefit on my end. Second Chronicles 34, look at verse 32. 2 Chronicles 30, 34, <clears throat> 32. See if I can find it. No, I, Second Chronicles 35. We'll start there. So Josiah kept a Passover. Now, you remember what the Passover is? The Passover was the celebration they were supposed to do every year that remembered back to when they were in Egypt, and the angel of death came and killed all of the firstborn, but they didn't, the angel didn't kill the firstborn of the people of Israel because they followed God's command by putting blood over the doorposts. And after that, Egypt freed them. From slavery. So, what it is, is Passover was that remembrance because of a blood sacrifice, we were freed from slavery. That's Passover. They were supposed to celebrate this every year, and they had fallen on hard times. They weren't celebrating it. So, Josiah kept the Passover in Jerusalem. He slaughtered the Passover lamb. And it says here that he had priests, and he had choirs, and he had offerings prepared. Look at verse 7. Josiah contributed to the people their Passover offerings, 30,000 lambs, 3,000 bulls, all from his own possessions. The Levites and the priests gave offerings, 2,600 lambs, 300 bulls. There were singers, there was offerings, there was worship. The priests stood in the place, and the Levites, according to their their divisions, stood in their place, and they slaughtered the lamb and the followed the Passover exactly as the Bible told them to do it. And this is what it says about this Passover. Verse 18. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites in all of Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This was the Passover. I mean, they had t-shirts. I went to Josiah's Passover. There was not... I mean, what kind of kings had Passovers that Josiah outstripped? King David. Never did a Passover this awesome. But King David did nothing. Solomon, his money was rich. And he owned all the money. It says... Josiah's Passover was even better than any of the Passovers that King Solomon had ever celebrated. This was a fantastic Passover. People were posting selfies on Facebook for days after this Passover. I was there. And then in the comments, so was everybody. (laughs) We were all there. That's why it was awesome. Huge crowds. Better than Solomon, better than David, even better than King Hezekiah's Passover, which wasn't too far earlier, because King Hezekiah's Passover, it was kind of a train wreck, but they got it put together. The Levites weren't weren't properly uh, uh, set apart. They had all kinds of problems. Josiah's Passover was fantastic. Everybody went home. Oh, it was awesome. Can't wait till next year. So that means they must have all been turning to the Lord, right? Turns out, not. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter, this is probably one of the most stunning things in the Bible I might assess. Jeremiah chapter 3. Beginning in verse 6. This is Jeremiah speaking. The Lord said to me, in the days of King Josiah. Josiah lived during the time of King Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah says about that. He says, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? Keep in mind, Israel. What is that? Northern ten tribes. Just, Jeremiah says, have you seen what those northern ten tribes did? She went up... She was faithless like an adulterer. She was like an unfaithful spouse, worshiping every foreign god she could think to worship. And I thought, this is Jeremiah speaking for God, after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she didn't. In fact, she led her sister Judah astray. Who is Judah? Judah is the kingdom that Josiah is king of. Judah observed what Israel was doing, and they followed suit. She saw all of Israel's unfaithfulness and faithlessness and adultery in worshiping other gods. And Judah did the same thing, was faithless and unfaithful and adulterous. So then God compares Israel and Judah. Listen to this. Verse 11, The Lord said to me, Israel is more righteous than Judah. Israel, northern 10 tribes. Judah, kingdom of Josiah. And what did God just say in verse 11? Israel is more righteous than Judah. That doesn't seem right, doesn't it? Look at it, verse 10. Yet for all her treacherous sister, Judah did not return to me with her heart But in pretense, declares the Lord. Do you hear what he just said? Jeremiah said, I heard about your awesome Passover. There was one guy there who actually got it. The rest of you were there for the party. Because you have come to me with pretense, meaning not with your heart. You know what? I'll take the unfaithful Israel, thank you. I'll take the unreligious disobedient one over the religious faker. Can you believe that? This huge Passover that Josiah pulls off and basically God says, no, thank you. Because what you do doesn't matter if your heart is somewhere else. The people of Judah were returning to God because they saw some benefit. Hey, if we return to God, maybe we won't be invaded. Is that how it works? If we return to God, the right guy is going to be in office. If we return to God, I won't lose my job. If I return to God, maybe my health will get better. If I return to God, some of these conflicts I'm dealing with will go away. Is that? This is what Judah was doing. We got problems. Our problems have problems. So you're saying if we return to God, our problems go away? And God says, thank you. Yeah, that's very nice of you. I thought you wanted me, but they didn't. Josiah, though, he wanted the Lord. He worshiped the Lord from a broken heart. Israel was wicked. Judah was worse because Judah was returning to God on false pretenses. So God, if I worship you, you're going to give me what I want? And God says, if you don't want me, I don't have anything to give you. Deuteronomy 6 says this. "Hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you today shall be in your heart. Loving God from our heart is what God seeks, not just feigned or fake obedience, someone who can do the right thing. For some reason, there are some of us who are just really good at being good. And we don't even need to know the Lord. Some of us, we're just really, really well-behaved. Some of us are terrible at being good. And God says, you know what the point is? What's going on in your heart? Do you love me or not? And some of us say, well, how do I do that? Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Or I'll read it if you don't want to turn there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says this. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Circumcision was a a thing that they did to the boys at eight eight days old in order to set them apart for God's purpose as a part of God's people. And God is saying, you know what? Your heart actually needs to be set on me more than your your body. The Lord your God will set your heart aside for holiness so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. So the Bible is saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And you're saying, but I don't. What do I do? And God is saying, I will do that for you. And that's why Josiah tore his robes because his heart was torn because he said, God, I don't love you the way I ought to. You need to do a work in my heart, Lord. God will do the work, but we're going to have to seek him. Okay, a couple of things we're going to close with this. Change of heart. What we do matters when it's from the heart. But our heart matters most, and what we do doesn't matter if our heart isn't in it. So the people of Judah, basically, they wanted a formula to get God to do what they wanted, and that never works. If they showed pretense coming to God at Passover, and God found that offensive, let's think about it this way. How offensive is it when we come to God in pretense, not at Passover, but at the foot of the cross that has His Son on it? I might suggest that's a bigger deal. That we ought to take serious the cross bore Christ himself. And if we're going to come to him, let's not play around. If our heart's not in it, let's be honest with God where our heart is. But let's not come to his son with... So if I, if I talk about Jesus a lot, you're going to give me a, a better job, God? God did not hang on the cross and bear our sin so we could have a good career. He did it so we could have eternal life. Jesus saves us from our sin And the question we need to ask ourselves In the dark places of our heart Is what do we want God to save us from Let me just be honest with you If it's not from your sin That's not the business he's in He is seeking to save us from our rebellion You say well I'm already a Christian Okay good so you got that rebellion thing dialed in Good luck tomorrow, by the way, because you're going to wake up tomorrow rebel. And you're going to have to do this all over again. So how do we prepare our heart? Okay, last verse, and by last verse, I mean not even close. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. Thus says the Lord to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. Don't sow among the thorns. I love that. You hear you think Jesus had that in mind when he told that parable? I think he might have. I think he was familiar with Jeremiah. This is what's great. Break up the fallow ground of your heart. He's saying, listen, admit it. Your heart's hard. You want your own stuff, your own way. And, and God's word is having trouble penetrating in there. And he's saying, break up the fallow ground of our hearts. Circumcise ourselves to the Lord. Dedicate ourselves to the Lord say, God, do what you need to do to my heart so it's ready to receive the good news. Do what you need to do through your word and through the circumstances of my life that I finally get to the place where I rip my clothes, where I rip my heart and say, God, I don't know what's going on. You need to change me. What do we call that when we say, God, I can't do it and I'm all wrong? It's a fancy theology word for it. It's called repentance. God, you're right, I'm wrong. I don't even think I want to be right. Could you figure this out for me? And what does God say? Absolutely. Repent. We aren't obedient. Perhaps even repent. I don't want to be obedient. Pray that the Lord might change your heart because the Bible says quite clearly he is willing to do whatever it takes to change our hearts. Read the scripture and don't read the Bible to learn more. Read the Bible to find out how wrong you are. No, I'm serious. Open the Bible. The first question you ask yourself, how bad am I today? And and listen, I promise you, the Bible will tell you. But, But what's fantastic about that is His grace is greater than however bad I am, and He is willing to change me even in the midst of that. And that is my hard heart being broken up to receive the good news I am what much worse than I thought I was his grace is even greater than I thought it was Finally last thing and this isn't very appealing and it's not cool or hip or awesome or relevant or whatever the word is obey you, you know do what god wants You say, well, what should I do first? Should I do what God wants first, or should I wait till I want to do what God wants before I do what God wants first? And what's the answer to that? It's a fair question. Yes. Do what God wants. Why? That's a safer way to live, first of all. It's harder, but it's safer. What I would do is say, you know, I know what's right, and I'm going to do what's right. If over time your heart's not following suit, you need to go to the Lord and say, God, what's going on? I want to seek you in obedience, but I need my heart changed. I want, this is lame. I don't want to do this, or I want to keep doing this, whatever it is. Obedience. It means seeking the Lord, trusting him that over time he will lead me, and my heart will want to do the things he wants to do. That will be motivated by his things. Okay, let's close. Change of heart. What we do matters. Did you get it? What we do matters. What matters more? My heart. Do I love the Lord? if that hasn't changed, I need to seek the Lord in faith. And finally, what doesn't matter? Doing God's stuff and not loving Him. That's a train wreck.